can't tell if the chemistry is good by looking at it. It wasn't clear yesterday. For the last time, the saltwater pool is a chlorine pool. This is the Talking Pools podcast with pool pros from every region in the country. If it happens in a pool, you'll hear about it here. Everything from tips and hacks to the latest tricks and trends, breaking news. We lay it on the line. We tell it like it is because we think you deserve to know. Thank you for tuning in. It's another Mix It Up Thursday where Rudy sits in for Wayne. This time it's aphids, white flies, and black algae. Here we go. I know down in South Florida we have white flies. Those are not white flies. We don't have those up here just yet. Still too cold, I guess. I have this pool. It was at a student housing facility. Most of my commercial properties were at student housing facilities. So this one was at a student housing facility, two pools, two pools at this, this facility. And you know, when you have a student housing or any type of an apartment complex, because that's basically what it is, it's an apartment complex. When you have an apartment complex with two pools, you always have the one that's immediately behind the leasing office. And then you have the one that everybody uses because nobody wants to be monitored. They don't want to use the pool right behind the families go to that one but all the party people go to the other pool so this is the one right behind the leasing office small pool maybe fifteen thousand gallons of water not very large three times a week i go out there monday pool looks great filter didn't need to be backwashed but it was the flow rate had dropped a little bit so i did it anyway because i feared the day that i had to clean all of my vacuum de filters in one day so i cleaned it anyway treated the water. Everything was perfect. I leave, come back Wednesday. The water was white like milk. This is mid-August. So first thing I did, probably same thing anybody would do, is I grabbed my test kit and I tested the water and the chlorine level was at zero. This is a pool that nobody uses. That's not right. And I had just put tabs in. They were using cyanuric uh, acid. They were using trichlor and erosion feeder. So I just put tabs in the erosion feeder. First thing that went through my head is maybe the tubing that hooks up the erosion feeder broke. So I went down into the Hannibal Electric Catacomb pump room. And no, that was fine. But my flow rate had dropped to zero. Filter needed to be cleaned again. Two days after I cleaned it, came back out scratching my head trying to figure out what was going on and I noticed that there were a bunch of dead leaves on the other side of the deck. So I went over there to investigate because it's August and even though I am further north than some of the folks in this group, we don't get leaf fall in August typically. And as I got to that side, I saw that there was this black tar-like goo all over the deck, the raised beam and the patio furniture on this one side of the pool. Then I saw a snowflake pass by. My first thought is I must have inhaled way too much chlorine when I was down in that pump room because this is August in Gainesville. There shouldn't be a snowflake. I could see that it looked like somebody tossed a handful of sawdust out across the pool surface. I know, it sounds exactly like a white fly, right? But again, I'm too far north. We don't have these here. So I collected some leaves and then I collected, uh, skimmed a little bit of the water off the surface that had some of the dust on it. And I beelined immediately to the entomology department at the University of Florida. 
within five minutes, my sample was under a microscope. And that photo, you see the enlarged white fly, or white fly, the enlarged bug, we're going to call it at this point in time, that's the photo that he took for me. So not only did he diagnose it, what we have here, by the way, is the woolly, woolly Asian hackberry aphid. It's an invasive species, first discovered in Duval County, that's Jacksonville, Duval in 1999. It's since spread as far south as Orlando, as far north as Atlanta. Has a fondness for sugarberry trees, which is basically a big weed that grows into something like a tree. The black tar-like goo that was on the deck of the pool and the raised beam and all the patio furniture, that was the sugar-rich excrement of this aphid. It was fly crap. And it was everywhere. And it wasn't just on the deck. It was going into the pool as well. You just couldn't see it there. And that's what clogged up my filter. That's what stopped the flow. That's what depleted my chlorine level, this stuff being in the water. That's why the pool turned milky white. Now, of course, when I went back to the facility, I pulled that uh, CAM, uh, Community Association Manager, out to the pool with me, and I explained everything, step by step, the whole thing. And she said, okay, well, what can we do? I decided that, well, I'll just reach out to uh, one of the major enzyme companies that we deal with. He met me poolside, showed up with a bunch of samples, walked out to the pool with me. Again, we grabbed that cam because I wanted her to be involved in everything, every single step of the way, out to the pool. And we talked about the options and said, you know, Rudy, we can treat the water, but as long as there's that constant influx of fly poop, we're going to keep losing it. And I'd already figured out I could do that with Cal Hypo. I could get it back, but it would only last a couple of hours before it started to fade again. I was like, all right, I'll thank you for the samples. Okay, we'll find a different direction to go. Get a hold of a pesticide company that happens to be familiar with this woolly Asian hackberry aphid. And I have them come out and again, grab the cam. And they tell me, they look at the tree, they look at the pool and they look at the tree and they say, you know what, we can treat this but we ain't going to do it. And I was like, uh, what? He said, no, that branch hangs out over the, over the pool. I don't have a problem spraying the tree, but I don't want to be responsible for any of the stuff that drips into the water and the effect that it could possibly have on people. So we're just not going to do it. He said, what I could do is I could inject the roots of the tree with a horticultural oil, infuse it with a pesticide, and it would completely wipe out the infestation for next season. It's like, dude, this is mid-August. I'm in a college town. They're in turns right now. You guys, any of y'all know what, familiar with that? Nobody wants to hear about why their pool ain't blue right now. They got enough going on them to worry about this swimming pool. Plus, people are deciding where they want to live. And the pool is one of the first things folks go to look at. Great. Where's the apartment? Where's the pool? We find a tree company. Now, here's the, here's the thing. This management company, the, the guy that headed up this management company, loved nature, loved trees, would never be okay with anything happening to any of the trees on the property. But I know a guy. So we found this tree company that would come out and remove the tree in the middle of the night and put down sod so it looked like it was never there. Problem solved. The point being here, the point in this is look at all of those resources and look at everything that was involved in me figuring out what that was. And so many people, 
when I've shared this story in the past, said, you know what? You went way above and beyond. But did I? I mean, I found out the answer for my customer. This is happening at a property in my county. What are the odds it could happen at other properties, other houses? I have a lot of customers here. I don't want to be answering 100 people saying, you know, when they ask why the water's cloudy. And it beats me. So I found out the answer. You know, that that management company, I said management company, right? I did use that word. 40 other properties in this town. You know, within the next year, I picked up 20 of them. That's the ROI involving that cam and every step of the, that I did. You know what? I didn't know the answer. I made sure she knew I didn't know. I made sure she knew I was trying to find out. I made sure she heard everything with her own ears that I heard. She was involved. That's huge. The mobile waterlink spin touch allows pool and spa professionals the ability to test water in the field. A patented waterlink spin reagent disc is used with the innovative photometer to measure 10 different tests in just 60 seconds. That's right, just 60 seconds, and you'll have results displayed simultaneously on the photometer's touchscreen. That's not all. You also have the ability to send the data through Bluetooth into a smartphone or a tablet device. The photometer can measure free chlorine, bromine, total chlorine, combined chlorine, pH, alkalinity, hardness, cyanuric acid, copper, iron, phosphate, borate, biguanide, biguanide shock, and salt. The water analysis can be proactive since they are able to measure all of these important tests and recommend correct procedures to fix their water chemistry issues when using our WaterLink Solutions Pro software program. It allows pool and spa analysts the best way to achieve precise results. So simple, anyone can use it. This is the most advanced system for precise use of wet chemistry methods ever produced. Pool and spa analysts can achieve precision without time-consuming tests or cleanup procedures. This groundbreaking analysis system is so simple, no vials to fill, no prep time, no guessing. To learn more about this innovative lab, visit www.waterlinkspintouch.com. Again, www.waterlinkspintouch.com. You know what happened? I... I teach the classes that I teach and a lot of my students continue to ask me questions years and years into the future, which is fine. I'm cool with that. That, you know what, two days is not enough for a certification class, especially for somebody brand new into the industry where they're going to think they know everything. They don't know anything. You know, they went through the class, they got a good foundation. They were exposed to a lot of stuff. I hope they remember it. I like to make myself available so people can come to me with questions going forward. So over the years then, people said, I wish there was an area where we could just go to find a source of information where we wouldn't have to try to figure out, is it crap, is it good, is it bad? You know, stuff on the the internet, you have to vet it all, right? So I decided that I would start this blog and I was gonna hit topics that they were asking about And I put out quite a few things. And so far, I think I've managed to consistently hit an article a week for the last four years. So if anybody wants to write something, I'm getting lean here. You're you're welcome to help me out. But I wanted to sit down and write something on black algae. And not on black algae, just on algae as a whole. And I wanted to give 
accurate information. I didn't even want it to be based off of what I think I remembered, what I think I heard. I wanted to double check everything. And in that, I found that there was a ton of information on green algae, scientific name, what it is, how you kill it, what it needs to survive. That's important because we, we get to mustard algae, the scientific name, does anybody know? It's in one of the three filters. It's not sand. <laughs> diatoms. Here's the benefit in learning this. So you know that diatoms is the scientific name. It's the family, right? There's a whole bunch of species, like 10,000 species underneath it. Some of it sticks to things, the walls, the floors. You can't even brush it. Some of the stuff just dusts right up when you push the brush. So it's all over the place. Did you know that it needs hard water? Higher calcium level is more friendly an environment for mustard algae. Did you know that diatoms are the only thing on the planet that consume silicates? You're, what type of sand is it in the sand filter again? Any? Silica sand, right? The silicates it consumes, it uses to make that outer shell wall that they call it water glass. That's what comes from the silicates. And it needs that because that's part of this thing. Yes, it needs phosphates. Yes, it needs nitrates, but it also needs these silicates. So we have that it needs hard water. It needs slow moving water. And it needs silicates. So we can affect some of these things. So if you're in an area where mustard algae is a big thing and you got a sand filter, Maybe you want to put a cartridge filter on that pool because we know a DE filter ain't better, right? Because that is the cell walls of the diatoms. So that is silica. So we don't want to necessarily go that route, but a cartridge filter, we might have less problems with mustard algae just because of that. Now, take a look at your water hardness, your calcium hardness level. If we can go with the lower end of acceptable or ideal versus the higher end, we're putting ourselves in a better position where we're less likely to have bouts with this type of algae. All right, I get to black algae. Big, fat, nada, nothing. There's a lot of, I think it is, there's a lot of, it has roots, it embeds in plaster, it's pool herpes. The only way to get rid of it is you gotta burn down your house, sell the land, move to Europe. That is the only way you're going to get away because it can't travel across the ocean or something. I don't know. Or does it come from the ocean? I've heard people say that you get it in your bathing suits when you swim in the ocean and then you swim in your pool. Does that make sense to anyone? I mean, because seriously, if you went like and you caught this like a dolphin, right? That's a saltwater animal. Yeah. You bring it home. You put it in your three foot Intex pool. It's going to do okay. They need salt water. Salt water things don't live in fresh water. They just don't. And fresh water things actually don't do a very good job of living in salt water. So don't let anybody say that it comes from the beach. It comes from that. It's not even possible. The things we don't, I mean, these are all things that you all hear, right? Still? All right. I can't find anything, not from anything that I would consider, you know, scientific or anybody who's really looked into this. So, all right, well. University was so good to me last time when I had bugs. I'm going to go out and get me some black algae. So I did. 
I went and collected some samples of black algae from some commercial swimming pools in the area. Of course, I'm not servicing pools anymore at this time. So I had to reach out to folks. Walking thing. You know, you can't service pools if you can't walk. Bring them over to the phycology department at the University of Florida, where um, my friend, Dr. Flips works. He happens to be the leading phycologist in the country, heavily involved also in the problems down in the Okeechobee. They put this under a microscope. This time it took a day because the Okeechobee took priority. We couldn't do it right away, but understandably so. So he puts it under a microscope. He gets back to me and he says, hey, Rudy, he goes, you know what? Come on down here. So I show up and he goes, look, there's no algae in your algae. I was like, huh? He goes, yeah. He goes, well, what, what we have here is we have three different genus of cyanobacteria matted together in this one dime-sized piece you brought in. Three different genus of cyanobacteria. Okay, that's a new discovery, or at least it confirms a suspicion. I'm not going to lay claim that I discovered this, although I think I discovered this, but still. If somebody had done the research prior, they didn't document it well or put the information out very well. It doesn't really matter. It's out now. Two of the genus in this sample I found were known to be toxin-producing. One of them is nitrogen-fixing, which means that it can actually take atmospheric nitrogen and convert it into nitrates. It can pull it into the water. And we know everything needs phosphates, nitrates, right? We know we can lower the phosphate level. How easy is it to lower the nitrate level? Not so much, right? So not good to have there. All right, so I wanna, of course, now, I opened a can of worms here. I found that some of this stuff is toxic. I wanna run those tests. But the solution I stored this in when I brought it to the lab actually killed it, killed it dead. It was like done. So we couldn't tell if it was producing toxins or not. So I reached out once again. I found another pool with black algae. This one happened to be in Jacksonville. Went, took samples, and this time I brought them to Cyano Labs down in Palatka, leading cyanobacteria research center in the entire country in Palatka. See, it's known for more than bass fishing. I get there with this. They put it this time they do take a look at it right away. And I find out that again, yes, my black algae is again cyanobacteria, not algae. But it's a fourth genus entirely than the three that I had found in Gainesville. Just a hundred miles. Two totally different things. This one's not known to be toxin producing, so I can't run the test. So again, X. Reach out again. I find a pool a mile from the first one. So if I have a shot of it being the same stuff, it's going to be this one. I get my sample. I go to Cyano Labs. They put it underneath. I get two different genus. One of the genus was the one I just found in Jacksonville. One of them was the one that I had found in my pool the first time in, in Gainesville. We just figured out here that black algae is always cyanobacteria, but the cyanobacteria that make up this black algae biofilm vary by geographic location, which explains why when you treat black algae in one pool with something that works, it doesn't always work as well in the next pool because you might not be treating the same thing.
make sense? Okay, Cliff Notes version, because I don't want to roll through the whole, spend the whole thing on this. Yes, toxic, but half of what the EPA limits for drinking water. And then when you consider that it dilutes into 10,000 or more gallons of water, unless somebody's actually eating it off the wall, which, you know, I wouldn't put it past some of these kids. Thank you for checking in and listening today. We're your podcast, the Pool People's Podcast. We want this to be about you, so if you have any questions or topics we should be covering, send them to talkingpools at gmail.com. That's talkingpools at gmail.com. Until then, like us on the podcast platform, click follow, leave a review, tell a friend about us. You are the reason we do what we do. Until next time. I just wanted to take a minute to say thank you for listening today. I'm hoping you enjoyed the episode as much as we enjoyed putting it together for you. Listen, it's been a couple of wacky, crazy, screwed up years from pandemic to Poolmageddon. I just want you to know that we are all in this together. If there's anything that we can do for you, send me an email at talkingpools at gmail.com. Again, that's talkingpools at gmail.com. We're here. This is your podcast. We are the Pool People's Podcast of the Pool People for the Pool People by the Pool People's Podcast. This one is about you. So thank you for tuning in and listening. Do me a favor. Click subscribe before you go. That way you don't miss an episode. 